Welcome to the Master Your Money podcast, where we take a dive into the complex relationships humans have with money. Plus, we'll explore the best and worst money moves we've made along our financial journey. All opinions expressed by myself, Ryan Greiser, Fran Walsh, and our guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Opulence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment, tax, or legal decisions. Clients of Opulus may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Let's get into it. All right, episode 55. I'm Ryan Greiser, and I got my guy with me, Fran Walsh, and we are in the brand new Opulus Podcast Recording Studio. First episode, we figure if we mess this one up, it'll just be yeah. <laughs> just be the two of us yeah. to get this thing going. We got some awesome guests coming up shortly, so we're like, if we're going to mess one up, let's just have it just be us two. But we're fired up, dude. It's awesome in here. We were slaving away yesterday trying to... Uh, trying to be blue collar guys for once and uh not we, for me yeah we learned this is why we're in the finance world dude. we're not we're not good at anything in that world trying to put up a a few simple uh few simple walls in the back which if you guys are watching the video look fantastic um took us all day probably probably a 30 minute job for for a regular maximal, for a regular guy maximal. But, <laughs> but uh we learned yeah, we definitely got to stay in our lane from here on out but yeah we're fired up we think uh this is gonna be a fun improvement we're really excited about it and we think it's gonna give a a better experience overall to the podcast especially when you know doing some podcasts via zoom it's great but there's nothing like being in person with someone we think it's gonna make the conversations go much better much more personable feel so we're we're fired up about that yeah especially if you're in the Doylestown area willing to come to it you think yeah. you'd be good on the podcast? Come on by, especially ladies. We need more females yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. We know we've been told that. Um, so raise your hand. Come yeah. on in. We're we're ready to have you on. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, we always say, like, if you're someone who wants to come on, we get we get DMs all the time now, which is pretty cool. We're at the point where like people ask to come on and uh we, we don't we don't say that way. Like, like, come on the podcast. Like, if you want, if you're someone who wants to tell your story, help promote your business, tell your story as an athlete, like whatever the case may be, just reach out to us. We're more than happy to have anyone and everyone on. We like telling other people's stories, helping people promote themselves. You know, that's the whole reason we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we got two good things to talk about today. Uh, Fran, why don't you get us started? Kick things off. All right. So, you know, what sparked mine, I actually wrote a newsletter about it a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're big Twitter guys now for anyone who is follows us on, on social. So we're always active on uh, on there now. And, you know, there's a, uh, a an ongoing argument going on in the, the financial Twitter world regarding life insurance. And, um, you know, for those of us who know Ryan and myself, we actually came from a larger firm back in, you know, before 2019, we worked at a, a, a larger uh, company for a few years. And, you know, essentially what they were is they were a financial planning shop that was under an, an overall insurance company. So what they did was they really pushed insurance. They wanted you to sell that. They're like, yeah, you can do financial planning. You can do asset management. You can do all this stuff, but they wanted you to sell insurance, right? So, yeah. and not just wanted, but so much of our compensation was tied to that. So if you had X yeah. amount of policies, you get this trip to the Bahamas and yeah. all this other stuff stuff that was, you know, an obvious conflict of interest. But I'll digress for yeah. now. So all this to get into, that was obviously a major piece as to why we were like, hey, we got to get out of here. We don't, we want to do what's right for our clients, which, you know, we always did. But, you know, some when you have someone screaming down your neck, being like, well, can we sell insurance to them? It's like, oh, dude, come on. Like, and there's no, clear conflicts yeah. of interest. With exactly. Too. So this was obviously a major reason in why we ended up starting up our own firm. But all of this to say, 
obviously we are not huge fans of talking about insurance because of our previous history with it and the, the negative connotation it has in the industry. But at the same time, it is a very important piece and something that most financial plans do really need in some way, shape or form. So essentially all that backstory to talk about, you know, do people need insurance? And in most cases, the answer is yes. And something I just want to talk about briefly is, you know, when are you in a situation that you might need insurance? And, you know, once you figure out, do I need insurance? The next question is obviously, okay, well, what do I actually, how much do I need? What kind, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, essentially what I'll get into is just a very brief discussion about this is just, you know, if you are someone who just got married, just bought a house, about to have your first kid, you're probably someone who needs insurance for the sole reason that, hey, you just bought a house, like you want to have that covered. You don't want to be leaving your debt to anyone else. You just got married. If you guys, you know, are now living together, you're relying on each other's income in some way. Most households nowadays rely on dual incomes, right? Now you're just all of a sudden, you're responsible for more things than just yourself. When you're 22 years old, yep. you're renting for a thousand bucks down in the city. You don't own anything. You don't need insurance. But once you all of a sudden you have responsibilities, you own a house, you got your wife or your husband, depending on you, you got two, three kids. All of a sudden now, hey, if something happens to you, you could really mess up your entire family's situation. Big time. So you want to make sure that, hey, whether I'm here or not, all my shit is taken care of. So if you're someone in that situation, right, how do you approach how much do I need? Very simple. What we use is very easy formula to understand. It's called the dime formula. First, cover your debts right? Really easy here. You got any kind of loan, credit card balance, student loan, anything that you owe money on, you last thing you want to do, something happens to you, God forbid, all of a sudden, your family's got to worry about paying off shit that you didn't have taken care of. Next, income, you know, naturally, wife, kids, like we're talking about anyone that else relies on your income, if you have like parents that live with you, that you know, need help, things like that, you want to ensure that your income is taken care of. Typically, five to ten years is what is you know suitable for a family to help get back on their feet. Yeah, and it'll be different for everybody a little bit, right? Yeah. So, like, if your your wife, in my case, right, has the ability to earn income and works, the number can be a little bit less. But if your spouse just wants to stay at home with the kids, you might want to increase that number a little bit more. Absolutely. Next one's a big one: mortgage. Nowadays, which Ryan's going to get into a little bit. Don't get me started early. Yeah. Housing is very expensive nowadays, right? So a lot of households are work, basically they need both incomes in order to afford their mortgage. So what's an easy way to really mess up your, your family's situation is if something happens to you, all of a sudden your family can't afford the house anymore. They got to sell the house, figure out where they're going to live, make sure your mortgage is covered. And lastly, education or, you know, another way to think about it is just goals. If you're someone that's like, hey, I want to pay for my kid's college, I want to pay for, you know, weddings, whatever those things may be, you want to make sure that, hey, whether you're here or not, all your bases are covered. So a really simple way to look at this is, you know, figure out, one, do I need this? Two, of the dime formula, which of those things actually apply to me? Tally up those things and then simply just know, hey, this is going to evolve and change over time. If you're 24 years old today and you just bought, you know, a condo down in the city and, you know, your your insurance need is not nearly as much as it might be, you know, five, 10 years down the line when you're you're married with three kids living out in the suburbs in a, you know, $600,000 house, right? So something that's constantly going to evolve, just like any other part of your financial plan, modify, make adjustments as needed. Um, but, you know, it's not this harsh black and white 
thing that people make it out to be, right? Most people need it. They need just a basic term policy, cover all the things that they want to have covered. And, uh, you know, that'll be sufficient just to know that, hey, not worst case scenario, it's yeah. not something anyone wants to talk about, but you're going to be good. Yeah. And to your your point, Fran, I think about my personal situation when we when I approach my life insurance, it's just that. I want to make sure my car is paid off if something happens to me, any other personal debts that I have taken care of. My income's replaced for my wife, and then I do have my education covered for my kids, and my mortgage is fully paid off. So I can really put my wife and my family in a really good position. God forbid something were to happen to me. But to your last comment is I have a term insurance policy personally. Why? Because all those things I just mentioned are going to be temporary liabilities that I have, right? So when I'm, I'm younger... I have a higher mortgage payment. I haven't saved as much money for my kids. I haven't saved as much money for my future. And I need to replace some of those things if something were to happen to me today. Yep. But fast forward, my kids are 18, 19, 20. College isn't an issue for me anymore. That's covered and taken care of. My mortgage will be just about paid off at that time. And I'll have saved a significant amount of money from now until my kids are 20 years old. So fast forward 20 years, um, the debt, the income, the mortgage, and the education expenses are no longer relevant for me because I can now self-insure for all those things or those liabilities are gone. So for me personally, that's why I love to use a term insurance policy to cover those temporary needs. And the $2.53 million of term insurance I have is dirt cheap. It's like a hundred bucks a month. So I will gladly pay a little over a thousand dollars a year to guarantee those things are satisfied for my family. Yeah. And, you know, if you're someone who's like considering this, you know, it's something that's probably better to attack sooner than later because, you know, the older you get, um, the more health risks you have, the less healthy you're probably going to be. Hopefully not, though. Hopefully you're still working out being a beast. Uh, but all those things are natural. So it's going to get more expensive yeah. over time as you get older naturally because they're they're looking at health risks. So even if you just get something small and basic in place, um, it's probably good. And the last thing I want to note on this is, most people's first, um, you know, kind of deferral of talking about insurance is like, oh, I have that through work. Typically, what you have through work is somewhere between 1.5 to 2x of your salary. Sometimes three. Yeah. So yeah. So say you make 100 grand, you probably have like 150 grand of insur- of life insurance, which is something. Yes, but you know, you just look at all the things we just talked about. You know, 150 grand. If you got a 400 thousand dollar mortgage. And like, you know, it doesn't even make a dent in it. Plus, you're not even talking about any income on top of that for your family. You know, it's just it's clearly not sufficient for all the things that we just talked about. So essentially, just to summarize here, it's, you know, you want to make sure everything's taken care of. You want you don't want to be that guy. Everyone's been to a funeral at some point in their life where unfortunately, like someone was older and then like they didn't really have anything. So now the family has to pull money out of their pockets to pay for a funeral, yeah, pay for that. all this stuff. Like you don't want to be that person. No. You want to be the person that's like, hey, I got everything taken care of. You guys are set and like everything's going to be OK. Obviously, we don't want any of this to happen, but you want to make sure planning for the worst. You're still got your shit in line. Yeah. And when it comes to the group benefits and life insurance that your company provides you, what's critical to know is that those are typically not portable. In other words, when you leave that company, that does not go with you. Yep. The company benefits will be there for you. Life insurance will be with you while you are there. But when you're gone, that benefit is gone. A client of ours recently made that transition, had a huge life insurance policy available to them through work, left the place, joined a new company. Guess what they got at the new company? 
Nothing. Yeah. Right? Which was fine because they had good personal insurance, but if they were solely relying on that group policy, it didn't go with them and they would be left with nothing. God forbid they weren't healthy at that time. So be aware of it, leverage it, benefit, but don't rely on that to protect your family because it's most likely not guaranteed to. Yep. Absolutely. All right. I'll kick it over to you for uh, for your piece here. All right. Let's talk about mortgages, interest rates, and all of the fun stuff that, that comes along with it. So today's- Just, sip- just make people cry a little bit with how, <laughs> exactly. with how expensive it's going to be for home right. buyers. Or feel really good about locking in that 2% that you did in uh, you know, 2020, 2021, if that's the case. So you know today's uh, September 7th, 2023, and, and pulling up Google here, uh, mortgage rates are in the mid sevens. Is the national average might be different in each area, but if we look at it in the mid sevens, that is dramatically higher from where rates were, uh, you know, in 2019, 2020, in the high twos if you bought with some points or the mid threes. Um, and I really think that people dramatically underestimate the long term effects that rising rates, specifically on mortgages and home purchases have, not just on the price of things today, but the true impact of the costs that it is over the course of time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, listen, the Fed raised rates so they could combat inflation. And in theory, when rates go up, things should slow down, buyer pool shrinks, and prices go down. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when we take a look at the, the dramatic effect that rising rates have on prices, like l- look at this example. Uh, someone we were talking to is buying a home, right? They're looking around like an $800,000 price point, which, you know, five, 10 years ago, like that place must be huge. Yep. Well, like in the suburbs of Philadelphia, where we're at, like an $800,000 home is built in the 70s, <laughs> needs work done to it, and is a nice place, but but it's not the, the creme de la creme yeah. that you know you would expect just five, 10 years ago buying an almost million dollar home. So let's walk through this example here. So $800,000 home, 10% down payment at a 3% interest rate would come out to a monthly mortgage payment of about $3,700, right? Now, over the full lifetime of a loan, 30-year mortgage, that means that the total interest payments would be about $372,000. So if you had a $720,000 payment, or principal payment, excuse me, with the $372,000 interest payment, the co- total cost of that mortgage is just under $1.1 million. So buy for 800 small down payment, $1.1 million. Yeah, that's a decent amount of interest, but nothing crazy, right? The numbers really work out in your favor. Seems to make sense in your head, right? You, yeah. you, can, you can make that sound okay. You can justify it, yeah. right, quite substantially, right? But let's say we jump those rates up now to 7.5% where they're at today instead of the 3% that they were in 2020 and 2021. Same scenario, 10% down, $720,000 principal payment over the lifetime of the mortgage. But now instead of uh, a $3,700 payment, you're paying $5,700 a month now. Same as go- amounts going to principal, but an extra two grand a month, a month in interest payments. Now you extrapolate that over the lifetime of the 30-year mortgage, instead of making $370,000 of interest payments, you're now making over a million dollars of interest payments on top of the 720, right? So to pull that together, the true cost of a mortgage at 3% is about a million bucks. You got to tack on an extra $800,000. Same home, same price, more than double the interest rate. Now you're paying $1.8 million for that same home instead of 1.1. So people dramatically under 
underestimate the true impact of the rising interest rates of that they have. Now, listen, can you refinance at times? Yeah, but you got to qualify. You got to have a good job. You got to assume that the home price is still high enough that's there. With home prices drop, you might not be eligible for a refinance. So can you? Yes. Will you probably be able to? Sure, in time. But don't count on it yeah, right knows? in the next There's year, no two, three, yeah. because of all these variables that go into it. And, you know, bank regulations have the ability to change, too. So it's kind of crazy the huge impact that that comes with the rising rates. Yeah. And, you, you know, the one thing you always hear is you always hear like the boomers talking on, um, you know, on this topic saying, oh, well, you know, when I was when I was growing up, interest rates were, were 15, 14, 15 percent. It's like, yeah, dude. Well, the average income back then was thirty five thousand, and you were buying a seventy thousand yeah. dollar house. Like that was a fifty. Your your income was a fifty percent margin of the house. Nowadays, the average household income is seventy grand. The average house is four hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, like so you're I, talking one seventh, one eighth. There. Yeah. So I have this data, right? Because yeah. this is the thing when okay, we posted great. it on on Twitter. We had all these boomers say. Yeah, well, you should have seen what it was like in the 80s when it was at 15, 17%. Like, yes. All right. Like, the interest rates, yes, 15 and 17% is higher than seven and eight. Thank you for pointing that yeah. out. Right. But what people didn't talk about on Twitter when they were yelling at me about it yeah. is, is the home price to income ratio. Right. So in the 80s, it floated right around between four and 5%. So if you made 100 grand, you're buying a home that was like, Four hundred, five hundred thousand okay. dollars was that was that ratio right okay. to your income to that, uh, but now it's seven and a half, yeah. right? So it's the equivalent of instead of you have making a hundred grand and buying a four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar home, you're buying a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar home. That's how much income, almost double the amount of income that someone brings home is going towards housing today, versus uh, what it was like in the eighties, even with the increased rates. So it's not necessarily apples to apples. There's so many things to take a look at with it, but uh, but there's no doubt about it. People are spending so much more money today on getting into a home than they were back in the 80s. Yeah, I always I have a, I always come back. I think I told you this story. My grandma used to always tell me when her and my pop bought their first house in Philadelphia, this is probably in like the 60s. Um, yeah, probably around early 60s. My grandpa was working for Verizon, I think, making like $18,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Their first house was a three-bedroom, three-bath house in Philadelphia. Like a nice place. It's a really nice place. And it costs 30 grand. Can you imagine being like, yeah, I can pay off my mortgage in like two years probably. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Yeah. Like it is – it's just – it's wild to think about it. I mean, even in my personal situation, right? Me and my wife bought our home in Doylestown in 2019, right? We bought it like 460 mm -hmm. at 3% rate, yep. right? So like my monthly mortgage payments, you know, floating right around like 2,500, 2,600 bucks, yeah. right? Two people in our neighborhood just sold their home. They're a little bit nicer than ours, more redone, but for just under, under $900,000. So I bought my home in 2019 for about 460. My neighbors just sold their home three, four years later for just under $900,000. And if I were to buy that same home at 900 grand at a seven and a half percent interest rate, right, my payment would be like six grand. So like the 2,600 I'm paying today versus six grand for, you know, the houses didn't change that much in the last four years. It is a tough and challenging time to buy a home. Well, that's a great point because, you know, what do most people think when they hear that? Oh, that's a great. That's a great reason to. Why don't you sell your house? You'll make. You'll make four hundred grand. And go What's, where? Yeah, and go where? <laughs> that's a great point to talk about, right? We have a client who, you know, similar situation to this, has a sub two percent mortgage rate, 
like 1.8 percent yeah and they were telling us like we thought we was wrong like we we got the statement we're like yeah 1.8 percent i was like this can't be right but um they were talking about potentially selling their place and moving somewhere else and we were like absolutely not like (laughs) we're gonna show you why your situation is so good right now um just because the numbers it, it doesn't make sense because like wherever you're going you're gonna be paying double for essentially the same thing as you have now well, and that's what it was. They would almost be dramatically downgrading and doubling the cost yep. of the situation that they were in. And that's why home prices are staying elevated for that situation. Is you got people that are in some cases, unbelievably in the high ones to twos and threes, are like, I'm not selling my place. Like they're stuck. Right. Yep. You see these memes on Instagram, like, hey, that starter home that I bought, I'm locked in at 3%. Well, it's my forever home now. Yeah. But it'll be interesting. I think that's where we're going to see a lot more renovations come in for people like myself that have a great neighborhood, great home, that are in the threes for their mortgage raise. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to go anywhere. But to update the home makes a ton of sense. But we got a lot of people that are are stuck in their, their mortgages, and they're not going anywhere. And that's why you see prices staying elevated because people need to get a lot out of their house to be able to transition somewhere else. Otherwise, they're just not selling. So inventory is low. People still want to buy even at these higher rates, but it's just a challenging environment for for buyers for sure and for sellers to justify moving, especially if it's within the same neighborhood. Yeah. So, I mean, well, all this leads to, okay, if you're someone like me who rents, right? And you're looking to buy in the future, right? What do you do? Like, like how do you how do you make this work? Do you do you ride it out, hope the market crashes, or do you just say, screw it, I guess I gotta buy this and just you know pray I can refinance down the line? Like it's a it's a weird predicament people are in because this is the first time ever where houses are here, interest rates are here, and it's like okay, nothing's budging, budgeting, budging. So how do people budget for that situation? Yeah. And as you like, so let's play this out, right? So where we're at now, prices are elevated, rates are elevated. So the Fed said in the future, six months, a year, 18 months, 24 months, they're going to drop rates down. How dramatically time will tell based on economic factors, but rates will come down at some point, right? So today prices are high, rates are high, rates come down. Well, now what happens, the buyer pool will open up because Mm -hmm. now mortgages are more affordable, lower cost. And if prices are at where they stay elevated and stay where they are now, there's only the potential for them to increase from here if the the economy is stable and then rates begin to come down. For people who are looking to buy, sell, or people who are looking to buy, like that's a problem because now prices are going to just go up higher, rates are coming down, so the payment might stay the same, but you're going to have to fork out more cash for a down payment to get into that place and be able to qualify for it. So that's one thing when you look at rates coming down. And People have been waiting for a long time for the housing market to crash. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. So, so what are you going to do? You're going to wait and rely on it as prices continue to climb potentially? You know, this is not the case. At the end of the day, what we think most people should consider is you just got to buy what you can afford today and then be adaptable. The people who over leverage themselves uh, trying to buy a really expensive home at a high mortgage rate could be in a lot of trouble. But on the flip side, if you just sit around and wait to buy, there's no guarantee that things are going to get cheaper either. So at the end of the day, you got to make a real clear assessment of your scenario, buy what you can afford, and make sure whatever you do buy, you could see yourself being in that home for an extended period of time. I uh, I was just pulling up an article here. I don't know if you saw it yesterday. Um, 
actually perfectly, very timely for this conversation. Uh, New York and California both just implemented some sort of law yesterday. I don't know all the details of it, but I just saw some details saying it could impact the housing market in the in the short term. Um, basically, Airbnb is getting like restricted there. So now anyone with an Airbnb, whereas before it was kind of like you do what you know what you want to do. Now they have to register with the state. You must be, you must live like in the building. Like you can't leave your house to someone anymore. You have to be in there and you can only have two people max staying with you. So you can't rent out the full home? No. Really? Yeah. So like just new ones or all existing ones? I think all existing ones. Um, Listings were shifted to put into effect on September 5th. 4,000 were taken offline yesterday. I guess they're just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, they're expecting 9,000 more by the end of the month. That's interesting. Well, because that's such a huge huge side hustle for a lot of people, well, that's, right? Like real estate investors that don't want long-term leases. Yeah. There's buy a place, invest in it, rent it out. Like that's a dramatic shift to take of just all of a sudden, all homes, here's the rules, and that amount of many listings. I wonder how many listings there actually are of those 4,000, like what percentage? It seems like a low number, but- It does seem low. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, the article out. literally came out 12 hours ago, so I'm sure there's not yeah. as much data out yet as there as there will be, but um, that's something we'll keep you posted on. I just saw it was yes, interesting, interesting as it's relating to you know this conversation. Any news that people get of like, okay, could this be the housing market coming down? You're like, okay. Th- yeah. I don't want to crash, right? But yeah. for some of our clients, I'd like, <laughs> like they're looking at my stuff. I personally wanted to nuke. Burn. <laughs> and then I will call our clients and apologize, but I'll be like, but yeah. now I'm in. Now now I'm riding high uh, with you. Now we're, now we're rooting. Stabilize things, we're baby. We're rocking it up. Yeah, right. So at the end of the day, when it comes to buying a home, rates affect things tremendously. No one would expect it. Prices to continue to fly up the way that they have with the, the rising you know, increases that we have in rates. But at the end of the day, you got to buy what you afford, buy what you can afford, have a long-term vision for that property and avoid the transaction fees that come with it, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, and ride it out because yeah. it's, it's an interesting time that we're in. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's a home, you know, like, yeah. yes, we like to look at the numbers of things and say, Hey, like, is this financially a good investment? But you know, if it's a place you love yeah. in an area you love and you see it as somewhere that you could be for a long time, you know, live there with your family and you're going to really enjoy it and you can make it work financially, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't make a ton of money. No doubt. So, all right, man. Good first episode in here. We'll see. uh, Hopefully the audio sounds good. Hopefully the cameras are still working and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a, uh, this isn't our last one. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have a great bunch of episodes (laughs) in here. All right. I appreciate you guys. Thanks guys.